DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host, and man, I'm getting ready to blow the fuck out this debate. It's Hank. Uh, you begin the show wrong as you will end the show wrong. When am I ever wrong? Every time we debate, every single time that we have done a Cinema Bloodsport, you have been wrong. And you, a Twitter poll that one person voted in. Uh, well, that, that's your your measuring stick, and I won the last debate. That was I just believe. that was just one Twitter poll, and you won the you finally won King of the Basement after like six years of us playing that. That's what you won. I'll give you that credit. You are King of the Basement. Uh, I am very much engorged in horror trivia. I don't quite remember what caused you to win last time. I think it was like a point. I'm pretty sure it came down to just a point, but. At least it wasn't tied, as always. Hank, what have you seen lately? What's your recently seen? I watched a Yule Brenner movie by Robert Close from 1975. Yeah, I uh, I just, I like late era Yule Brenner when he's really close to death. Um, right before he recorded that commercial, I'm Yule Brenner, and I Don't died. Smoke. Don't smoke cigarettes. Yule Brenner, born 1915, died. 1985. Oscar winner, father, fisherman, chess player, cigarette smoker, victim of lung cancer. One of the last things Jules Brunner did before he died was to make a plea on national television to cigarette smokers about the dangers of smoking. Of all his performances on the stage and screen, this is the one that meant the most to him. Now that I'm gone, I tell you, don't smoke. Whatever you do, just don't smoke. If I could take back that smoking, we wouldn't be talking about any cancer. Shortly after, Yulbrunner was dead from lung cancer. It was too late for him, but it need not be the same I want to do you. something like that when I die, but I want to do it more in the vein of, you know, just chain smoking. Of like, it doesn't matter. Mm, you're all going to die. Live your life the way you want to. I'm Hank. But I don't know if I'd have any recognition or uh, any success later on in life that would warrant me appearing on commercials. But uh, Max von Sydow, Yul Brenner, and um, very young Stephen McHattie, who we talked about 
not at all recently. Have we? No, we've not talked about anything with Stephen McCaddy in it. Never mind. I watched some stuff with Stephen McCaddy in it, and it was The Ultimate Warrior um, from 1975. It is about, uh, like post-apocalyptic sort of thing the all of new york all of the world has been overrun by viruses and cannibalism and gangs and very moody like bronx warrior kind of feeling movie max von Sydow runs a place inside of the city that they manage to grow non-toxic vegetables other gangs want in they hire yul brenner who is a shirtless knife fighter that wears bell bottoms wears all black no shirt cowboy boots Big-ass knife. Knife fights a bunch of guys. The villain, uh, a ginger named Carrot, namely, and uh, it ends. It's pretty much, it's, it's they're just knife fighting. And it's not Italian. Yeah, it's not I Italian. It. They're not. They're fighting through uh, the subways of New York. Max von Sydow gets beaten to death in a pretty great scene. It's it's not not particularly good in any sort of fashion, but I've been really into 1970s sci-fi lately. Been watching uh, Boy and His Dog, Demon Seed, Ultimate Warrior, Let's see what else have I thrown on. Um, Dark Star, I watched Dark Star. Uh, a lot of, you know, there's just a really unique, low-budget vein of sci-fi shit from, uh, you know, 1968 to around, like, 1977, 1980. And there's even a lot of cool big, but you know, you could throw in, like, a Clockwork Orange from Stanley Kubrick, uh, which is also, you know, it's a massive two-and-a-half-hour movie. Uh, Rollerball, that's another good one that you can toss in. Two hours also, very long movie. The 70s had some really neat alternative sci-fis. The Ultimate Warrior, not one of the strongest picks, but it is pretty fun. I like it. What did you watch? Is it better or is it worse than Rollerball? Much worse. I like Rollerball. I'm a pretty big fan of that long, long two hours. I like James Conn. Is there any character? Is Yul Brynner's character named Moon Pie, perhaps? I wish. He didn't have a really unique name. It's Carson. Uh, okay, that that just sounds bland. There's no moon pie. Max von Sydow I... is the Baron, though. Oh, Baron von Max von Sydow. Yeah, it's got a ring to it. <laughs> Stephen McCaddy plays the uh, very legendary, awesomely named Robert. He kind of got fucked in the uh, <laughs> the character names, I guess. I watched a foreign film this week, Hank. I'm Ooh. expanding my horizons. It was foreign, and it came out last year, even. It is a movie from Spain called Skins, and there's no real way of explaining Skins other than it's kind of a weird soap opera melodrama slash comedy film about deformed people. Um, it reminded me a lot of like a '90s uh, Pedro Almodovar type. I mean, it could be because it's in Spanish as well, but it's just very odd. Um, it, it's kind of like a Magnolia style, um, setup of how different characters interact with each other through weird deformed fetishes and other odd, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's a really hard movie to explain. I generally enjoyed it. I wouldn't say, oh, that was one of the best movies of all time. It was more of like, all right. I mean, that was an that was interesting at least. I mean, it's at least worth a good one watch. It's on Netflix actually right now if you want to sit through a bunch of subtitles. But it deals with some very, mm, like, touchy issues because um, there's some stuff. There's a lot of sexual themes in there. They do discuss stuff like pedophilia. Um, um, a girl has an asshole for a face. 
I, it gets intensely melodramatic and comedic all at the same time. You've caught That's my attention even more. This sounds, yeah. uh, you know, unique, at least to say. It sounds a little bit like Freaked, you know, some Alex Winters kind of stuff. Not even close to Freaked, because Freaked is just straight up dumb comedy. Yeah, the butthole this face is, is what made me think of Freaked, more or less. But it discusses some very strange issues in a lighthearted tone at times, but also in a very depressing tone and being, as I said before, very melodramatic. But oh, man, you know overall, what I should have talked about? You need to check it out, I think. This would have paired really good with your movie uh, because I also watched Paul Schrader's uh, Autofocus recently, which is all about how fucking weird Bob Crane was. And the butthole face is what majorly made me think about it. Um, and, and since I watched that movie, I have immersed myself in researching and uh, reading about John Carpenter <laughs> and uh, Bob Crane. Not the John Carpenter, not our beloved Jarpenter, but Carpy. A full-blooded Indian and good friend of Bob Crane's who might have crushed his head with a camera tripod. Uh, invigoratingly interesting story that makes me feel very wholesome and nowhere near as perverse as I thought I was. Like, you read about Bob Crane, you watch Autofocus, uh, you read the story of, of what happened to him in his life. I don't feel half as weird about the stuff I jerk off over, you know? Uh, it, it's kind of invigorating. like the fuck. Anything, man. I mean, he was, uh, and, and that's the, the really interesting thing about Bob Crane is up until he died, he fought, you know, his executives, his studio, his agent of, there's nothing wrong with me. What's wrong with fucking? And, uh, you know, I, I guess he has a point. You know, what is wrong with sexuality? What is wrong with fucking? But you just, I don't know, when you're working on Disney sets and you've got your van filled with porn and you're showing people pictures of you getting your dicks, uh, I don't know. There's a, going off on this weird Bob Crane tangent, um, which has literally well, nothing to do. probably wouldn't even know who Bob Crane is at this point. Hold on! A on. Yeah, a TV show that most people don't remember. Um, for the kids in the audience, let's explain Bob Crane was in a show called Hogan's Heroes. And Hogan's Heroes Did you like my a, Colonel Clink? Your Colonel Clink was... Very impressive, Hank. Okay, I have to thank say you. that. Um, I've been practicing. I'm not going to lie. The show is literally about American POWs in a Nazi POW camp, and it's a situational comedy. I love the most humorless fucking idea of all time, uh, and it just it, it was War so II. successful. Hilarious. Yeah, and it, it caused a lot of strife because I guess people assumed it was going to have some anti-Semitic theme to it, but it uh, kicked... Kicked his career really, you know, off into general, and he was a DJ beforehand, and you know, previously, I guess, wasn't exposed to. It's kind of like we back in the day, if you remember the live Death by DVD, when Charlie Sheen was having his whole meltdown. We did a few episodes, kind of talking about what goes on and why that happens, and you know, when you have everything presented to you and you can do anything you want to, a lot of people just choose to do it. Why not smoke crack? Why not fuck? You know, and that's what Bob Crane's mindset kind of was. He wanted to wanted to fuck. <laughs> that's, that's like the most or the least. Um, like charitable explanation of Bob Crane's life. There's I've nothing. Ever heard in my life. Well, I mean, and it's I've really been researching and reading to it, and it's not that he was like a simple man. Like he had goals, but at the end of the day, he just wanted to fuck. He truly felt, and this was a direct quote. He was often caught saying, "A day without sex is a day wasted." He just he didn't care that he wasn't sellable anymore. He just wanted to fuck. 
He just was really into <laughs> fucking, and like he went to bed after fucking one night and never woke up. He probably died incredibly happy, just like I'm gonna wake up, gonna fuck again today, gonna be good, and that was it. Like that, he had it was like a goldfish, you know, just swimming around the tank. Have I been fed? They fed me. I'm, I've not been fed. I'm hungry. That three second memory, but instead of it constantly being hunger, it was just man, I gotta fuck. I got, I'm fucking, I'm Hogan. I'm Colonel Hogan, man. Fuck me. But by the late 70s, uh, I mean, who, not a lot of people wanted to fuck Who does that Colonel remind Hogan. me of? You. Like, what other actor does this, like, does Bob <laughs> remind me of? Oh, Vincent Price. Yeah, Vincent Price. Me. No joke, though. Like, that, it, he really was all about the pussy. Vincent Price <laughs> was 100% a coos. Callback, baby. That's a, like, a 10-year-old callback. What's funny is every time we do a really old joke, somebody will remember it. I also want to counter for how many times I say what's funny per episode. I do that a lot. That's It should be my catchphrase, but it's well, not funny. Well, the appropriate measure was to bring attention to it. So we all notice it now. Well, now there's something to look forward to for this episode that we haven't even announced the subject matter for. Uh, it, we've not Last week, I think we did a 55-minute intro. So we're still good. This is like 10. <laughs> we're, we're still running. We didn't well, get I mean, into the list last week until 50 That was more about the subject matter at hand because we just, I mean, we generally were discussing movies that had come out in 2019 that weren't in our top five. So I we didn't had to really talk about that an intro. We we had to talk about Fred Durst. We had to dedicate like 25 solid minutes to Fred Durst discussion, which was all pretty glorious. The rest of the show goes downhill. The Fred Durst was really where it's at. But this week we're going to argue with each other because that's what better way. It's a new year, 11 years of death by DVD. So let's fucking fight with each other about some arbitrary subject that we find absolutely fascinating. Which generally okay, it, it well, tends um, to be the case it's with 2020. It, what year is it? I it's 2020, and I think this is the first time of 2020 that I can go ahead and say, Hank, go fuck yourself. <sighs> I don't, I, I, I'm trying to think if you've said it to me yet this year, and I don't think I you don't have. I don't think I have. Mm-mm, I yeah. This is our first. Yeah, so. We get the new year. Fuck me. Fuck Hank. That should be a bumper sticker. You know, this is, uh, what's going to be hard about this is we don't, ha- it's not like, when we did the Jason debate, we had a really large field to play. We had a whole lot of things to reference. We had a lot of subject matter to bring up, and it was really diverse. But tonight's subject, I guess I'll go ahead and unveil, is which George A. Romero remake, which remake of a George A. Romero movie is the best of all time? There's not a lot to play with here, so it's not like we could really dig in and and immerse ourselves with stuff. And right off the bat, I think, when you came up with this idea, my response was, well, there's really only two... Two movies we can play with. Well, it (laughs) took me a couple minutes to think about it, and I immediately dismissed one of them as to you know, nah, this is I can't argue this. There's way too many. You know, if you if you immediately if you begin to see the faults in the argument where you can't even fit in some lies, you know, you have some trouble. Like (laughs) if you don't have any, can't say no. I mean, this is definitely about. What what was um, Rock and Roll Nightmare about, Hank? What uh, was that about again? That movie is about angels that fight anti-rock and roll demons. Yeah, all right, okay. Yeah, that, that and makes Predator sense. is a sci-fi action film that by no means is horror. Well, Rocky is a sports film, which is no means an action film. 
Well, yeah, but we weren't. I was debating Cobra, wasn't I? Like Cobra. No, like, we were debating Sylvester Stallone versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, but wasn't was I for better. like for like two hours just sticking to Cobra? Like I wouldn't reference any other Stallone <laughs> movie. Like nobody did Cobra. Shut the fuck up. Like it doesn't matter. I don't care what your debate is. He did fucking Cobra. I, I really Terminator back myself. is a sci-fi action film. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger thereby is only a sci-fi actor because he's been in a lot. So he was barely in action films at all. But what about that scene in Cobra where he drinks the beer? It's Cobra. It's like I had that was a and what sucked about that is I didn't do the work for that debate until probably the day before the show where I realized like, oh, man, fuck, Arnold Schwarzenegger is totally a better action star. How am I going to lie about this for an hour plus? But tonight, um, what makes this more interesting is, I, you know, it's. Having the smaller playing field and not having a lot of directions to run to, we both picked really interesting movies, but the more I sat down personally and compared the remake to the original and vice versa and then the two movies against each other, I, I kind of found more issues with both of the remakes than anything else. And I, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it and we'll bring up different points, but significantly I, I'll be using this as a argument later that my film uh, strongly identifies more with George A. Ramiro's themes than yours. I still think both That's of them. That's where I'm sunk. That is where I'm going to lose this whole debate. Well, I think because the, you're kind of right. In the long run, I think both movies really do though. So it, I kind of think has to be acknowledged with uh, I'll unveil what I've decided to pick the commonly referred to night 1990 night of the living dead by Tom Savini. And you picked uh, the Crazies from 2010. Who? Oh my God! I guess I should. Uh, uh, was it Breck Eisner? Breck Eisner. Yeah. Okay. I did have it. I don't know who wrote it. Uh, I know mine. Night uh, 90 was penned by George Romero. Yours was uh, two different writers. I think I should have. Uh, I don't know. Scott Kosar and Ray Wright. Uh, who are those guys? Are I have no idea. They are the writers of the Crazies, and at least we gave them some form of credit. But whatever. Sure. We're those guys. We give credit, I guess. Okay. Let me start off by just saying that I think we are on equal playing ground for the most part. Um, oh, let me interrupt you real quick. The the third that we had entertained um, was Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake from 2004. But I immediately – well, not immediately. It was a good 10 minutes before I decided. I don't That think. movie I enjoy, but it is very flawed in a lot yeah. of ways. One of it – when, one of which being just intense amount of slow motion that is completely unnecessary. Well, if anything, it completely missed the point um, of Dawn of the Dead and uh, just even zombies in general to me. And it's not because they run. I like that they run. That's cool sometimes. I don't give a shit. But it's a deeply flawed movie overall. Again, I, I very much enjoy that movie for what it is. But as far as on Romero themes, on, on it even really relating to the original subject matter. And it doesn't remakes don't always have to completely relate to the subject matter. It really depends on what you do with it because me well, and now Hank there's had a so many yesterday about, um, the remake of rabid well, like for that, completely different reasons. That's even kind of where I'm getting into now because there's so many different titles in 2020 that there's a remake, a reboot, a re imagining. We've been even referring to this jokingly as the death by DVD reboot, uh, but I guess all of them mean different things. So, you know, like Picard, the new Star Trek show, is a reboot of the character, but like uh, the Soska's Rabbit, I would much rather call a re-imaging re or a reimagining because they took Cronenberg's, you know, material and they definitely made uh, something completely new. And for all intents and purposes, just discussing it now, sure, I liked it, but, you know, we wouldn't have had a debate on it if it was 
sure I liked it. Something spicy came up in the mix. But uh, you take the subject matter and, you know, you, you make something completely original on your own. That's fine. That's one thing. But I just don't see completely the point. I think Argento said it once of if you're going to remake a movie and do the exact same thing, what the fuck's the point? So, like, the Soskas with Rabbit for that argument, they did a pretty good job. You know, they did something really interesting. I think with both of our remakes, mine... Uh, leans definitely more toward a more coherent uh, reimagining of a story as to where yours just kind of loses a lot of focus toward uh, in, even the beginning, just the whole movie. A lot of the isn't themes have ch- like changed, but they're, th- I mean, they're still prevalent in the crazies. It's just, it's not highly as prevalent as say what Romero originally intended, but where like with, as we were just talking about Dawn of the Dead, like Dawn of the Dead kind of does its own thing, but they didn't really go anywhere with it nor was it particularly interesting what they did with the subject matter. Literally, they took the idea of zombies in a mall and ran with it, and that was pretty much it. It really doesn't share any comparisons to the original other than mall and zombies. Um, With Rabid, um, they took a concept and kind of put their own spin on some things and discussed a few more issues than like uh, Cronenberg intended, but the issues that they're discussing are interesting concepts. So that's where I like, if you're going to do your own thing, do something like that. Um, Where I disagree with that idea though, is something like black Christmas where I just like, you are out of the The new one or the other one, the, uh, not the new remake, but the 2006 remake. Yeah. The other remake. Cause it's, it's just crazily out of like anything having to do with the original really well on some facets of what you said uh i can begin some problems with the remake of the crazies because one of the things that to me made uh the 1973 romero movie so terrifying is uh, it's not that you have a lack of who these characters are you right off the bat get an understanding that both of them uh your, your two leads are Vietnam veterans, they're experienced, they know what to do, and that's about it. And most of the crazies from 2010 is spent on this just ridiculous backbreaking, like, let's, we have to keep proving Timothy Oliphant's just such a good guy. We, we cannot let you forget he's such a good guy. He's way too capable for just a regular small town sheriff, and they don't bother. They focus on all this energy of, He's saving the day, though. Like, well, if you're going to focus on this so much, at least give me a reason, some form of backstory outside of he's the goodwilled sheriff. Um, You know, you have a very big lack of charisma with your characters with George's movies outside of their need to survive, and then you're focused heavily upon with the uh, the 2010 crazies, just this good guy doing good stuff, but I don't really... What's my point of caring? I think a lot of the immediate nature of... These, you know, like in Romero's movie, these people, the the military are immediately coming in. There's this immediate action. It's not this shoot and kill thing right off the bat. It doesn't turn into this burning the town down horror story right off the bat that for a small brief amount of time, it's this controlled, we're going to fix the solution thing until it becomes, you know, pretty much hopeless, which uh, is similarly followed in, in the 2010 crazies. Well, in the remake of the crazies, they, the military presence is definitely there. The concept of the military fucking up the concept of the military not really having things under control when they're just slapdash like trying to control the situation it's not as it's, it's there it's just not as obvious because the Romero theme that he was going from the crazies is you can't even tell who is crazy and it, actually at this point it's fucking arbitrary because the military can be seen just as crazy as the people because, I mean, they're doing just as bad things as the crazy people. 
Well, you can understand the motivation of the crazy people because they're crazy. But what's the motivation of your heroes, like, whatsoever, that outside of the pure essence of survival and the remake, there's no real reason for them to be carrying on. You've got, in uh, the Romero movie, the, the big military aspect, and that plays, that you've got the survivors and then you've got the military and them bouncing back and forth, and I think that lacking in the... The, the remake really kind of damages a, a lot of the message because you don't know who who really is crazy. Is it these guys in the suits or is it these people on the street? I mean, obviously there's a virus, but it's one of those internal questions that is asked in the the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. You know, they're just that. It's not really, I mean, it's an, an internal dialogue more than a question, but they're them, we're us, which is the true kind of basis of a lot of Ramiro's ideas because you can understand about that. And where eventually guy. all of his zombie movies went. From that point on. Because you can understand a bad guy. Like, you know where they're coming from. Even if you don't understand their motivation, you can get behind that. Like a, a, a zombie, a villain. I don't mean like a Scorsese bad guy, but you understand a zombie. It's not out there trying to fuck you over. It's not inherently a zombie's fault what's going on. So you can't really look at them as the the archetypical villain. And you have... Somebody like Harry Cooper, who truly is the villain, and in the 1990 remake, you know, the tables are, are really turned, and we've discussed this uh, uh, heavily, that a lot of the issues with um, Night of the Living Dead is discussion, which happens quite often in the crazies that you've got between multiple characters. Almost everybody in the Romero film has a breakdown of communications and just, just a, a lack of being able to talk to each other. You've got the colonel, whose name I uh, completely forget. Him and uh, Richard France are trying to deal with each other through this entire movie and Richard France is kind of a humble man and a scientist just trying to get his job done and not used to the military. One of the military guys is a combat person. At this point I'm giving you all this backstory. All of this but is like, part of yeah, how I mean, and the crazies it's really pointing out the failure of the system because they have this contingency plan and yeah, the way it's the military how is doing it, like you have to have a voice print identification to get in contact with each other so everybody gets cleared before they can even have a conversation so that breakdown of communication between like the military the scientists all this it's all very haphazard and it's basically calling attention to the idea of just how like how crazy our system is as well as how like the military and things like experimental viruses can affect us, all these different issues. A note your movie's lacking that I believe the the original Crazies has definitely stronger um, is it's brought up at the very beginning the colonel states that, you know, I might have been, I'm a combat guy, but I might have been sent here because I'm expendable. And the entire remake of the Crazies, you have this hope that these characters are going to save the day and get out of there and it's all going to be okay, but Ramiro's film starts with somebody admitting, like... They sent me on shit detail because I'm probably going to get shit canned. They don't care what happens to me. And the hope is a little uh, false advertising. You know, when you've got the the 90 Night of the Living Dead, we got to like shortenize, shortenize these. Those aren't, that's not a word. Uh, we have to shorten these titles. I'm just going to go with Night 90 for the rest of uh, the show. But when you like focus on Night 90, you've got all the core ideas that were really relevant in Ramiro's 68 movie. Um, you know, uh, the ending is and obviously then some, different. Because they expand upon those ideas towards the end. But the lack of communication is like that's what's truly expanded upon. And you've got even now a huge action-packed gun battle between Ben and Harry Cooper uh, even showing how communication literally was the key to all of this. All of them could have been absolutely okay. They could have communicated. And maybe if they listened to Barbara, could have just walked the fuck out. And there was hope. And the hope is still there in... 
the original Ramiro movie up until Ben gets shot. And that's really when things become crucial and, and cutting and kind of not, I wouldn't say ruin the experience, but, you know, add this level of nihilism that wasn't really there beforehand. And you, you sigh and feel hopeless. The remake that George penned, sure, you lose hope to some extent, but the end of the movie, you still carry on. You go to the island. Uh, you know, he fought the dragon. You, she fought the dragon, you know, and essentially talking about Ramiro in the remake. And I don't think any dragons were fought in the the crazies remake oh yeah there was plenty of dragons fought. i the one thing that i think that the few things that they got right in the crazies remake was first of all i think it has an excellent tone i think it shot excellently um, i have to hand you a lot of stuff like that because i again just to i mean because sometimes we debate stuff that i don't always really like but i really like this this remake it's a solid movie Oh, yeah. I think it's a really well-made movie. It might be missing out on themes, but I think they got the overall arcing concepts still in place because what we're focused on mostly is the new life because his wife is pregnant. And I think they made that mean more in the remake because they're obviously an older couple. And by older, I mean late 30s, early 40s. I thought they made it mean less. I mean, Hmm? I thought they made it mean less because, yeah, they they mentioned she's pregnant, but... She gets the shit beat out of her throughout the entire movie, too. I mean, you go through that big rig wreck at the end. Is she pregnant? I mean, mean, there's a lot of impossible things probably in the movie as well. But the whole point is why they're so, like, driven to survive is because this is something that they've wanted for a very long time. As they mentioned in the movie, oh, it finally happened for you. And which I'll admit was a really good one bit of hope. You've got a lot of um, similarities between this and, and the original Crazies, uh, specifically with the relationship between uh, the amazing Timothy Oliphant. I think we've said this before, but Timothy Oliphant's good in just about everything. Now, even if he's a good guy, he like that's why I think when you were saying what, they didn't really build his character up and he's just a good guy sheriff, the brilliance is hiring Timothy Oliphant because even when he's playing a good guy, there is this aura of villainy around him he's just a very intense person i'm assuming in real life too because just the way he portrays himself as film in film even when he's like a laughing joking guy he's all always very have you seen santa clarita diet i have not watched it no his uh, good guy like this is the pinnacle of his good guy performance because he's out there spoiler alert helping his wife kill people uh to eat so he is you know uh, an absolute great good guy but he's murdering people at the same time so it's a really cool transition for him as an actor i think i mean not just his looks but he really reminds me of a young you know 1970s to mid 80s jack nicholson he's got that range on him that's a great shorthand that the director took by hiring him you've instilled a certain amount of mythology just by the uh, the actors that you've hired and i honestly like i think they got the relationship between because in this film it's a sheriff and his deputy and the original it's just two firefighters but they apparently in vietnam together and things like that i think they were able to make that relationship in the remake mean just as much if, uh, if not a little bit more in the uh, in the remake, just through sheer acting and casting. Well, I'm not trying to nitpick with detail here, but doesn't it bother you a little bit that they present this one street, small town and, you know, uh, nowhere America and these guys are like Rambo good? 
I mean, they have, oh, but there's barely any. Like, are you talking about the original? Because in the no, original, yes. I, I mean, in the remake, because I mean, they really can fight. They're great in hand-to-hand combat. They kick some ass. They, they get, get the, fucked up, dude. They rarely get like. They get I mean, fucked they, up, like, but they can up operate people and stuff. And- knock them out but they're not like doing karate fights and shit i mean i guess i again like i said i might be just bitching at a certain level of realism here because we're watching something for entertainment purposes so having some podunk cops that don't know how to use a shotgun really wouldn't be entertaining but that's i guess one of my stronger points for you know the the original ramiro movie is they give you at least a brief idea that you know one guy i think was an army ranger and the other guy was infantry so at least they have a knowledge of, of what they're doing and what they're getting into. There's a lot of characters there in the original that I think, uh, you know, it's not like I need Lynn Lowry to be running around the woods being crazy. Sure, that's fun to watch. But having those characters stripped away uh, didn't help. And, like, we kind of got people mixed in, but so many of them, their exits were just, you know, weak. Like, you've got the, the, the car wash scene, and this character just gets, you know, whoops, they're dead. And that kind of reminded me of, like, uh, the, the Stephen King movie Cell, where, you know, you get a character for half of the movie, and then, oh, we're going to leave him on a rock now. We're done. But there's some there's some immediacy in that. There is almost a realness to how the characters die because they're kind of taken out quick and violently all at the same time. Now, I will say where the remake is a little bit weaker than the original is how Romero like kind of visualized his crazy people. It was more it wasn't terrifying as much as it was just odd. And like interestingly odd, like the um the woman in the battle scene who's like sweeping up after yeah, I the love battle. That scene. That's, yeah, it's a great scene, man. It just kind of shows the the lunacy of this whole situation. And where the remake fails on that a little, little bit is the the crazy people are just all get particularly violent. It doesn't well, it really get into the, 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 the meth like the psychosis of who these uh, why, like their craziness. They all just become kind of violent. Twenty eight days later, almost people and i think that's kind of a flaw with the remake well there's not a lot of fluency with the remake of like the levels of crazy because some of them become like 28 days later super strong chaotic crazy zombies and then others retain their speech others just seem to want to cause erratic harm and then others are just absolutely insane so it's like trixie now has various levels within the person it's depending on your exposure to it in that film it's not just You've been exposed. You're crazy now. And that one, it's like just differing levels of how Which, long this disease is setting in on you and how long is it going to take to really take effect. Well, the big thing George really wanted to focus on in the original crazies was uh, the water and Trixie coming out through the water, which I think was a, an amazing part of the remake. And you kind of get this uh, like playing, you know, setting up dominoes, this fear of the next one coming down and who's going to get infected because they list out where the waters come in. And there's, all, again, all this amazing detail, but I don't feel in the long run it really pays off anywhere because, again, we're focusing the entire time on, you know, this really heroic story, this Greek heroic story of saving the day and your pregnant wife. And then it kind of like the crazies by Ramiro uh, doesn't really end positively whatsoever, but the remake kind of ends with like, well, Fuck it. We just fucked everybody. Like, we just fucked the fuck up. And Ramiro's at least has, uh, with its nihilism, it's got a level of, of beauty that is, you know, immediacy and now that it, it's more fluent to me of the hopelessness presented in the story. And, like, I mean, we're going to probably get into some bad faith arguments in this debate where we're going to start talking about budgets and other things that, like, will that. 
that looked a little bit cheesy. Arbitrary uh, stuff. Arbitrary things. Yes. Well, I keep, um, for some reason, you know, I, we definitely have to recalibrate and this is my fault. I'm, I'm more for some reason focusing on why the crazies well, from nine, wrong either. Well, I don't I, think you're wrong with this debate. Well, I mean, I just think I'm focusing more heavily on why the crazies from 1973 is a better movie than the crazies from 2010. That's all part of the debate though, too. I mean, I mean, we're kind of debating for, separate movies here. Yeah, I, I just I, like I, I just keep shelling out shit and it's like, well, and the crazies and the original and I, I'm lacking to actually bring up my uh, my defense or not my defense, but I'm, I'm defending here, which is uh, there are a lot of inconsistencies when you when you sit back and in memory, when you when you remember the, the 1990 remake and Night of the Living Dead, you, you think essentially it's pretty much scene for scene that is very, very similar. And it's not. There's a, a lot of and not so much inconsistent things, but uh, the entire tone of the movie has changed, and it's not so much for a fault, but a lot of uh, the tone changing comes down to you know Ramiro wanting it to show a different time, it wanting to be relevant in what was happening with feminism, and by doing so, I don't think you damned the movie, but I think some of the core problems between the characters has been somewhat ignored because uh harry and ben now are just like this phallic pissing match as to where beforehand they were the only level of control because barbara was catatonic so you had some form of hope in them you don't even really get an like an exposition of barbara being a hero that's all been transferred to barbara because we're seeing the whole film through her eyes at this point basically i mean she is our avatar in the film well, I mean, I think that's uh, just, you know, I guess pointing out a problem, which I shouldn't do. The exposition of Barbara becoming the hero comes a little bit too late. And by the time she becomes the hero, so it's not like so much has been wasted, but so much more story have could have been so much more story could have been told in that that format right there. And you end up with and I don't particularly like this scene. You have a gun battle between Harry and Ben, and it really you know is showing uh, just the, like I said, the the phallic representation of literally two dickheads, and ch- you know, changing the Ben character and updating it is important for the time period, and I get that. But Ben was always the the great white hope, you know, which is funny because he's black. Ha ha. You take that away and you just kind of throw it at Barbara at the end, and she gets kind of a cool statement. I just feel well, she could ben have been so much definitely stronger. Like- as a character, a lot more unhinged in the remake. Being, much I mean, more real to me. The beautiful monologue that Tony Todd delivers in the remake where he's like literally crying and talking about all the, the, the chaos and the hell around him. Like that shows a certain amount of weakness in his character, which I think is more interesting for the character. But ultimately, like what you were talking about, because Ben is always looked at almost like a superhero in the original. Like he's like, he is correct. Even though at the end he turns out that he could be completely incorrect. The cellar was the safest spot. Well, it's kind of what I mean that you get this, like, I don't know, almost like thespian play, like back and forth between Harry Cooper and Ben in the remake. And then at the end, it's like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's just give all the responsibility to Barbara. And if you'd have played off Barbara becoming stronger and more active while Harry and Ben are, you know, pissing at each other, I just felt there would have been, I don't know, a, a stronger bond with what you tried, what story was uh, attempted to be told with the, the the original Night of the Living Dead. Because at the See, end of the I, day, it's survival. I think that's all there, and I think where the problem, because they really do start introducing Barbara as your avatar slowly through the film, because they show both men as being reckless, and she has to basically save herself. Um, and in the original Night of the Living Dead, 
you do have Ben as that avatar the entire time until he's like stricken down because who are you going to trust the catatonic chick, the kid, this uh, bald dude who's obviously an asshole. And in the remake, I think the characters are just, I mean, Barbara at first is a little catatonic, but she snaps into being what we need her to be. And I think that changes the character of Ben tremendously in the remake. You unfortunately giving some uh, ammunition to me with this. A lot of the detail that's paid attention to, like when uh, Harry is introduced, he instantly comes upstairs, and as they're talking, he keeps referring to Ben as Mr. Ben. You don't look like you're a neighbor yourself, Mr. Ben. And he goes and he the window's busted open. You can see they've obviously been able to hear them screaming for help. They know there's a problem. And in the, the original 68 movie, there's just this discourse between Ben and Harry. And- <laughs> Coming this winter, Death by DVD with Hank. Do you ever fantasize about listening to Hank? Now for a few words about his new show, our very own Hollywood Hank, the world's greatest. What? And now for a few words about your new show. What new show? (laughs) Do we... uh... Do we, do, have we talked about this before? Coming this winter to Death by DVD. But uh, it, it, uh, it is winter. It's already winter. It's winter right now. It's already winter. What the fuck? What, where's, uh, where, what the fuck? Where's Nash? What's, what's going on here? The Haunted World of Hank. Coming soon. Winter 2020. Bobby explains that, yeah, we did hear you, blah, blah, blah. All that happens, but Tom, Tom Towles goes and he opens the fridge and he gets a beer and he walks back to his defensive point at the top of the stairs where he can go back downstairs and that itself explains and shows his character so significantly and it's not like there's anything you know wrong with drinking beer, but it shows what was on his mind in a situation like this is his wife's locked up downstairs, his kid's been bitten by some random fucking maniac and is sick, he's arguing with random people, he doesn't even care who they are or what's going on, but there was a beer in the fridge and that allows you to see you know ben right off the bat came in kicking ass hits the guy in one of the most amazing effects in this movie uh nails the guy with the truck and that effect itself was really cool they dug a hole put the guy in the ground put some prop legs that's tom savini's a magician um which is funny tom did this and hasn't really directed anything else and i thought this was a really adequate uh it bombed it It really bombed hard i get that but uh, you know looking back uh 30 years later it's really adequate you know tom uh, is a magician at heart oh yeah and that's I saw it in the theater, and I was not impressed in 1990 at all. I was just like, eh, it was kind of the same movie again. But And then it took time and, and like a significant amount of other terrible zombie movies to go, you know what? Night of the Living Dead, the remake, is actually really well handled um, and tells an interesting story and not just the exact same story as they told before um, and does have a certain tone to it. And I think that's where both of these movies are really impressive uh, as remakes is – like with the crazies, I think they were able to take the Romero themes and kind of truncate them and make them a little bit more smooth and also make the movie a little bit more economically, like conceptually more profitable just because, I mean, you are dealing in a horror market. But I think they like still smuggle in a lot of those themes. And I think the remake of the crazies has 
a tremendous tone. Not, like, I also think Night of the Living Dead 90 has amazing tone as well, down to the music and the way, um, kind of the way that uh, Savini visualizes the zombies and how he really uses night to his advantage. But I do think the crazies, with its very gray, washed-out look, um, really has a superior tone overall and really, like, even kind of improving on what Romero already did in, in the original crazies. But the problem with that is he had no money for the crazies. I understand that. But all of his nighttime photography in that movie sucks a dick because it's one key light. And it's just all like, I mean, he would tell you himself, I believe he talks about in the commentary, but just like, I didn't really have a lot of money to shoot this. Oh yeah. These night shots look really bad. But, and I think like with the remake, the crazies, they were able to really smooth out a lot of that shit and make an overall more competent movie. Not quite as, um, hmm, I don't know, like um, quite as philosophical at times, but I, I think those themes are there. They're just smuggled in a whole lot more delicately than Romero because the Romero version is very much hammering over, uh, over your head with all of its different concepts. Discussing tone, uh, going back to night, 1990, one of the things that I think really makes the movie itself provocative is it kind of returned zombies to a horrifying place that through the, the mid to late 80s, zombies uh, kind of became comical. And, you know, things that are really dear to my heart, like Return of the Living Dead, played a part in that and helped not so much bastardize and water down the subject matter because, I mean, John Russo wrote Return of the Living Dead at its core. But, you know, you had, like, Bud Light commercials and a lot of goofy things, and zombies had become part of kind of common culture by the time this remake had been really done. And Savini and his crew really took a lot of time to make these corpses look like fresh cadavers. They they went to live autopsies. They live autopsies. I do have a, a bit of a problem with the look of the zombies. See, one of my favorite things, don't tell me it's the eyes because I love the No, eyes. I like the eyes because okay. I think that if when people are using contacts or zombies, use that because that's creepy well, they as need to be white eyes. The thing that really uh, sets these zombies apart and makes them terrifying is the eyes that they they have a lack of them and that's something that you you maybe you know you don't register on a day-to-day basis but you know it's not some spiritual thing but there's just humanity behind the eyes you can see life behind the eyes and when you stripe them out you make them completely white like that it turns even a living thing and that's what makes this scary is it made death scary the zombies aren't what's horrifying in night of the living dead it's the fact that you're going to die and become one of these things death is scary again now and I think like we're like it's a lot more logical to do it that way as well because zombies are no longer producing tears. They're not really blinking. So their eyes are getting totally dried out. And that's – I mean it's a very corpse-like look. Where I do have a problem with it is the special effects. I think there was by Optic Nerve. I'm not positive if I can remember correctly. Um, a lot of it looks just really, really rubbery. Because I even remember in the theater when um, Johnny, when Johnny hits the uh, the tombstone, it looks a little bit better on home video because you. you know, oh, it looks even worse out. now because everybody does the 4K great transfers, and now it just looks like a crash test dummy, like a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, it looks awful. And I gotta say, uh, when um uh, the the transfer now, I don't know if it's 4K or not, but whatever the the Blu-ray was that came out a while ago, um, there's the scene where. Uh, 
Barbara is is nailing the the zombie in the head when they get into the farmhouse with the fire stick poker, and you can now just see that plastic rubber fire head. stick poker. And yeah, well, there's one shot where it's a, a a rubber fire stick poker, and you can see that thing just bounce like a guitar string. And now, in such a nice clean transfer, when the the actual one's hitting the dummy's head, you can just see it kind of resonating and bouncing. But a lot of that. Um, you know, yeah, I'll give it to you. It's a little bit cheesier, but again, it's a lower budget 1990, uh, you know, remake of a, a very low budget movie nobody made money off of in the first place. And it being, uh, I think it was Optic Nerve, but mostly Savini and Savini overseeing it. A lot of the magic, and I, you know, I referred to Savini as a, a magician earlier. Uh, one thing that he does uh, as an effects guy, but as a director specifically in this movie, is he makes you see something, you know, way in the, the right side of the screen. Well, something happens on the left side. Like one of my favorite scenes after or right before Johnny dies, the human comes up and you don't expect that whatsoever. And then the zombie comes in from the left side of the screen and, and tussles with with Johnny. And you've got this whole thing that you've got a lot of surprise element and a lot of shock that initially was there with Ramiro's 68 movie. And especially with Ramiro's original movie, because none of these things were really seen or done before. So by the time Savini got to them, you really had to add a magic act to it because everybody, 12-year-olds knew what zombies were by 1990. It was really part of, you know, culture's uh, canon for intents and purposes. So trying to refresh that, I think successfully, it really paid off. And I think a lot of the home release issues and the effects issues came down to the uh, the MPAA just said, you know, we're going to give you an X rating doesn't matter and there was a lot of really great gore um like the scene where that really creepy skinny zombie comes through the window and barbara loses her shit you know well she's not losing her shit she's proving an immaculate point uh and finally nails him in the head like that was an awesome scene where they kill mr magruder his head pretty much exploded right before bobby uh, sets the truck on fire there was an awesome scene where they just blow the zombie's head up dawn of the dead style like when wooly nails the guy at the beginning of the movie during the uh, the the riot raid there was a lot of really really beneficial stuff probably that would have helped uh purport this a little bit more uh that got cut out which really sucks but when you you know transfer all of you know this gore and immaculate effects and awesome cool stuff over to the crazies from 2010 i don't think there was too much but i think and i don't mean this with the the sense of gore or practical effects or anything on a superficial level I still don't think you showed me enough. I mean, you showed this town getting destroyed and a lot of cool fight sequences. And, you know, uh, 28 Days Later, to reference that again, kind of chaotic fighting effects. But you really didn't show me that much. You know, with, with Romero's original movie, you have this intense fear of the military. And in the remake, it's kind of like a Resident Evil video game of, you know, up oh, guy in a gas mask, avoid him or he's going to shoot me. And uh, I do appreciate the rednecks. I thought they were a lot more interesting in uh, the remake than you well, had in the original. What the Crazies remake was able to appropriate very well is just a sense of isolation and loneliness very, very well. And that's See, where a lot take, of the successes are. But as you're talking about violence, I think the violence is a lot more immediate and shocking as opposed to lingering. Um, like when, uh, the girl's boyfriend, like is trying to help his mother, that the militaries and like, they immediately gun them both down and burn them with a flamethrower. I think that has a lot of impact and has a lot more power than any amount of 
like head explosions or anything else that you could throw in there. I think there's a lot of after the fact stuff that turned out to be more powerful for me than something like that, though. I mean, uh, a few scenes later, they get to the truck stop and um, the, the wife, the pregnant wife finds all the spent shells and realizes that the rednecks weren't just hunting crazies, that they were killing everybody and that there's truckloads of burned, shot up people and then you've got the big fight between the rednecks at the truck stop. I thought that was more Romero than anything else because it, it's presenting the after uh, effect of these these people were doing this. You know, they might be infected now, but these people were waiting for this opportunity to be this way. You know, kind of Day of the Dead, Captain Rhodes kind of people. You don't know what's going to happen when the pressure cooker pops. And that really is more comparable, that after effect, that aftershock to Romero's original movie like – You've got the okay. So here, here's a, an okay maybe comparison we can go with. In the remake, you've got you know all this uh, pressure, not a pressure, but all this attention uh, put on the effects. You know the zombies, not zombies. The crazies look like zombies. They rot, kind of. They're frothy. They're all weird. In the original movie, you have instead of these special effects, the, these people's behavior, these things that really show you that they've gone crazy. And I think that something that trumps even special effects is. Um, Dick Liberty trying to fuck Lynn Lowry, you know, his daughter. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, that other, he's done everything this entire movie to keep her safe. And would ne- he's not a child molester. This is not what this man would do. He's not a pederast by no means necessary, but he's been infected. And so is she. You know, they're, they're both in one of the most uncomfortable, disorienting scenes in the movie because you've got a crank or clunk or... I can't ever remember the character's name. Clank, Clank, I think. I think it's Clank hitting the the weird little symbols thing as the scene transitions back and forth. And, and Richard Liberty, the guy so over the top, he can he could he could have done just about anything. Uh, hangs himself afterwards in a kind of goofy effect scene. But again, one of my favorite edited Romero scenes from when they cut him and he falls down the stairs and they shoot it from down down the stairs so you don't see the action, but you know what's going on. Uh, great, great fucking sequence. Or, and this was before Romero really started getting good budgets. You know, this was before Martin. So you see this early editing. You really can see, like, this is why this guy's the maestro. This is why he's the best of all time. Well, and I think in the crazies, then as opposed to doing a shit ton of shots, they went with a lot of long shots. And, I mean, they did change sort of the immediacy of a lot of, of the original film. But I think for the film that they made, that was the appropriate tone is to really see a lot of these things play out in real time, not do a lot of fast editing, not do a whole bunch of, you know, random bullshit, but just kind of let the things play out. Um, like when the um, the fire truck guys pull into the um, the high school and like they wreck into the, the gate and people just start running and shit. The, the choice to shoot that from far away is a very smart choice on their part because you are seeing this from this hospital window this high school window and you're seeing these things unfold as opposed to being right up into all the action i think that a lot of that kind of stuff a lot of these long shots to show the expanse and the flatness of where was idaho i think it was takes place or iowa one of the two uh Um, i think michigan maybe at the end of the movie they go somewhere big i don't know it's not michigan yeah they go to is it Boise or it does not matter. It's, I think it's Iowa. Um, but the, the way they chose IMDb to says the flat it's a clean farming to shoot, I think really played off with this isolation. And oh yeah. I think Ogden Marsh, Iowa, Iowa. Okay. And then for, um, 
the way Romero did it. Again, a lot of these are budgetary and just the way Romero shoots and stuff, different stuff. But he was able to cram a whole bunch of story through editing and shots, which is valid as well. well what, but what I was, think Romero for got, the tone of this film, it's perfect in the remake. Well, Romero got this gig. Was it was it for Jack's wife or Vanilla? He shot one of those, and they ended up getting. He ended up getting a, a full picture gig to do this next. Oh, he was working with was it Lee Hessel, I think, at the time. Yeah, and um, yeah, because that's who. Because the the crazies itself was based on another script that somebody. It had was written. season of the witch because there's always Vanel was an in house latent image, yeah, which. Funnily enough, Romero, uh, it's also, uh, he prefers to call it Jack's Wife. I thought Season of the Witch was a better title, but um, Jack's Wife, Season of the Witch. Romero felt, I guess up until his his death, that was his only movie that he really wanted to, to be remade. Which is really interesting, and we have, you know, talked about it in discourse back and forth. I don't know if we've given it a lot of attention, but it's one of those more mysterious Romero movies that I think a lot of people, like guys like John Carpenter and Toby Hooper, you in your mind put them into, uh, you know, or put them onto a pedestal, put them into this little genre of these are who these guys are, this is what they do, this is what I'm familiar with, and you watch something that is completely out of that vein, out of that zone, it really shocks you. And I, I think Jack's Wife, Season of the Witch, is a, a really, really shocking movie, and at the same time, a really kind of bland... A poorly directed movie, which obviously George felt the See, same way. I don't think it's poorly directed. I think that was the movie that he was able to get everything that he needed because there wasn't too much budgetary concerns because he was telling a very simple story. Um, and when you start getting in later into his career, it's just like he's wanting to expand, like with the crazy expand. He's doing this apocalyptic vision again, but I can only do it for so much money. So I have to do things like I have to do things like this. I can't just fuck with my shots endlessly. I have to just get it and quit it and move on. Um, and I think that's what the power of the remake of the crazies uh, remake is, is just they were able to take the time to do these things and set up this this mood. I don't think that helped. Film. It's very desperate. I mean, uh, Romero even drew attention to, I believe, in the commentary that after 9-11 happened, you know, uh, th- there were the white suits and the, the response team, you know, is wearing these same still chemical hazmat suits. And there was, even in our modern time, this level of reality that comes to these response teams and the faceless imagery of the government coming in. And with the remake, it's more like a commando strike team. It's just more like an action-esque sequence of these, you know, faceless, uh, non-playable playable characters from video games. There's just something uh, striking about the stark white hazmat that really makes you think of an emergency. And, you know, with something like 9-11 and going back and looking and reviewing those images and, and, and the hazmat teams coming in and spraying shit down in asbestos fires you you just can't help but think who's under those masks and there's just well, uh, an anonymous I, I word think they were that. able to address that like a little bit like i've said the way they truncated things a little bit better in the remake just because you didn't have to have endless scenes of the military people are already at this point very um, wary of the military they don't trust them especially if you're in an american city and you're taking people out of their homes and with that scene at the end of the truck stop where you see that the military has just gunned down even the people who tested negative for the virus, they just gunned them all down and burned them. I think with that power scene, they were able to put all that together and really like have an intense moment of sorrow through then all the different military stuff that happens in 
the original crazies. What about the lack or um, the omission of some of the characters from the original crazies, like um, Harry Spillman's Major Ryder and, uh, God, what was the guy's name? Uh, Colonel well, Peckham. There was Colonel Peckham. That's Lloyd Holler, I believe. You know, But a lot of the military aspects of them, well, not all, a lot of them, all of the military aspects and the transition between these two things were, were left out. And with the remake, you kind of have the hopefulness driving uh, between Timothy Oliphant's character and his wife and the deputy and, and the crew that they've assembled trying to survive and get through this as to where you've got hopefulness with the 1973 film because the military is a presence. They do have faces, and it's not just... This blank, uh, you know, commando kind of imagery and guys with guns, you do get to see well, some sort of – you have that in the of... remake as well because you have the kid that they knock out in the barn and you're like, I didn't get into this to shoot Americans. Briefly, I you mean – You put a face on the military. Which is a good – they are just a bunch of kids and they're just following orders and no one knows what's going on. But that's just a direct take from the farmhouse scene where they come across the three guys that have taken their gas masks off and, you know, they let them go and everything. So, I mean, they borrowed from it and I think it helped uh, add a little bit of integrity and charm to the movie – but a, a lot of charisma, I think, is lost with omitting the military aspect in these characters and their struggle. And one of the most Im- important things, and I think heartbreaking parts of the the crazies, the, the Romero movies, Richard Francis' character plays Dr. Watts, who struggles with the military the entire movie to meet uh, probably one of the most heartbreaking demises uh, of a character. Uh, you can, I mean, I... We could sit and make a list, but the way this guy goes out just makes my gut turn every single time. It makes me scratch with anxiety, and that's something that uh, – the pacing with the the crazies from 2010 is terrific, and it does uh, allow some anxiety to build. But things like the Richard France character just not existing and him fucking curing the goddamn Trixie virus – and then dying, you you ah you just take that out, and then I mean you have something similar where they they do the great truck scene, and uh, the deputy ends up shooting the guy who finally I think the only time they mention Trixie, I think it's uh, on screen twice, but. You've got a lot of uh, ambiguous nature in the, the remake of, of what it is, the government, uh, and then finally at the end of the movie you get this kind of shady anti-government twist that, yeah, I know it's a bioweapon. Releasing that from the very beginning of the movie and then releasing or showing us military characters that we're supposed to be sympathetic with at the same time I think really helped because the exposition of what's going on was made even more clear that they don't care. They're just trying to get a job done. And the crazies, it's, yeah, we know they don't care because it's the military, but at least show me it, maybe. What I do find interesting is the one thing that I applaud in the crazies is them really taking time to let things sink in and not not be so kind of edit happy is one of the things that I think is the negative at Night of the Living Dead 1990 because there it, it is just, I think personally, for me, too fast-paced. Because you have a little downtime in the beginning with Ben and Barbara, but once Harry gets involved, once night happens, it is just a fucking relentless pace where it never stops and the zombies are always trying to break in. Whereas it's a little bit more action-y, um, I don't think it works in Nightling Dead's favor. I think you need to pull back a little bit and have a little bit more character stuff um i think that's i think if you could have shown the gore the action would have paid off a lot more if there was a bit more uh it's just almost a little too much of it's not even the gore it's just it's a little too much of like we gotta nail up this window and they nail it up and then somebody's busted into the next one oh my god it's just it's this constant assault whereas that kind of works in 
a general action film type situation. Well, it up a good point that it shouldn't in, be ignored. In a Night of the Link Dead story, I don't think it works. I don't have that interpersonal connection between the characters that I think is very important in a Romero film. I think you get pieces of it, but it's a little too truncated for me. This takes me back to what I said at the beginning of the movie that you get so much uh, between Harry and Ben's pissing match and very little with the Barbara character forming that while they're doing all this action and nailing shit up and yelling at each other, there could have been a lot more storytelling. There could have been a lot more things going on with Barbara or other characters. I think, or, I think Barbara was pretty adequate, though. That's the one thing. I, I think Barbara's build was pretty adequate for that film. Like, a, just as a manner of writing or storytelling, uh, you could have really directed uh, what Barbara was doing, I think, more for the camera than having, you know, like you just said, people nailing things up. Because it does, you know, it's almost like a music montage. You're just waiting for the guitar solo while they nail stuff up and stuff gets knocked down and they nail stuff up and then they yell. And what made Night of the Living Dead by George Romero so fascinating was being able to, you know, as a viewer, solve problems, but watch Ben and Harry not ever uh, be able to be complacent. And they don't start as like mortal enemies. You know, they they're both condescending with each other and they both don't want to give away power. But at the core of it, it comes down to who's on top and who's on bottom and who has the better idea as to where in the remake, Ben and Harry just right off the bat, they, they're going to argue about anything. So you've stripped away a lot of the reasoning as to why these two people matter as to Ben is just as wrong as Harry. And that does take the story into a completely new and interesting direction, but it doesn't have a lot of payoff because they both get their just desserts, but neither it's not like it's satisfying or I wanted it to happen. So when you're presenting things in a story like this, which I think was really intriguing with the original crazies that you're just kind of giving these characters and a look into how they're surviving, not who they are. You strip away a lot of the personalization and who the good guy is. It tends to, to, to catapult the story and the, the graphic nature of what's being shown to you. And then when I'm watching the crazies from 2010, all I can pay attention to is like shit's getting blown up and there's gunfights and there's yelling and there's smoke. And I, okay, he's a really good guy, but why do I care? Why do I care about his survival? Because, it can't just be again, because she's pregnant. Your avatar in this, you are like, I'm a, I genuinely think of myself as a good person and I have a pregnant wife and I just want to survive. And I think it's, we've got archetypes working at, at, you know, full hilt here. I think that this is the, like the, the way you honestly have to tr- like, um, talk to people through film now is you have to give them, slightly amount of immediacy i'm not talking about like action but just like generalize your characters just a little bit more they don't need to be full-fledged you need to get just kind of a typical archetype well that's what works for you in the film i mean 1990 night night 90 that's a difficult tongue twister you don't get a really big format of who these people are you understand that ben is an emotional guy and that he generally wants to be a good person but there are roadblocks between everybody all of the characters are pretty anonymous and uh, you know that kind of is a trademark with ramiro and something that's even really brought up uh, in day of the dead is Nobody even really knows who they are after they've worked with each other for months and months and months. You know, Sarah brings up when she's visiting the guys down at the Ritz that, you know, you don't even work with us. You don't help us. You don't scavenge. You don't do this. And you guys just stay down here and avoid confrontation. So even at the end of the day, nobody really fucking knows anybody. And it's just a bunch of people stuck in this farmhouse. But nobody could come to any common terms. Nobody could come to... 
any even point of just discussing the problem outside of who's king of the hill and you know in the crazies uh, the the Ramiro picture you've got similar aspects but what makes it more intense is these things become uh, more relevant as the virus sets in and you start to question who's crazy and who's sane and the remake it's well yeah they've got fucking contacts in and are frothing at the mouth so they're crazy that's been stripped away that element of surprise that well, it's still there fear. because like the deputy he starts acting erratically and who do you trust and you like you honestly fear for your your protagonist yeah, but after because... two hours i already know that he's infected i mean you had like an hour before that he makes the whole statement of you know well my house was next on the water so you know you're gonna watch him and then when they finally get back to the sheriff's house and he shoots the the son and wife like nine times by the time he goes crazy the element of surprise has been taken from me because you already let me know but like when lynn lowry finally flips and walks up to the guys with the guns and they do that awesome that you know that just ramiro's genius editing all the sheep start running and then she hits the ground and they fire at her that's just so heartbreaking you you've just you've taken an impersonal character and made something so incredibly personal watching her get slain as to where the deputy just i don't know that scene annoys the shit out of me just he gets wasted it almost for no reason and doesn't even buy them time and it's a great scene but i watched this guy for an hour just for him to get wasted you know he just literally got all shot up and that's the end of it and all right at least give me uh, the some dramatic effect original, though. though yeah but uh, that scene is so different it's not some uh platoon uh willem dafoe dying thing or what is he uh I want a drink and then gets nailed in the head and they got that crazy squib effect. I don't even really know how they did that. I guess they had to have the squib remote. On. Well, that was way before remote. Probably and, uh, a button. Yeah, well, I mean, you had to wire those in. This is 1973, so that's pretty dangerous for its time period. And, uh, you know, his head blows up and he falls forward and he, he's bleeding. You know, that was a really dramatic scene for a character that you've been established with for this whole entire ride. And the way I think the deputy was killed off was, you know, a great heroic big scene, but that's all it was, just a big, you know, shoot well, up I, scene. I, I see. I really feel the emotion, whereas, like, Clank is emotionally unavailable in the original this character I've like let in to my, to my walls of like, I don't want to see this character particularly die. Cause he's mostly been a really good friend to the, well, what do you the mean? share the entire movie. And then, I mean, he's like, he's almost crying because he knows how like fucked he is the entire time. And I think it's, uh, I'll give you points there the because he finally admits after Timothy Oliphant busts him in the head, you know, something's wrong with me. But you mentioned that Clank isn't uh, an especially cared about character. And, 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 and I, I, for me, though, I, I don't okay, I don't yeah, emotionally get invested in his character because he's kind of been a dick the whole movie. He's kind of been a dick, but it's for me. I'm taking these are my two leads and he's uh, accentuating the survival of David. So, you know, it's his reason, you know, he's the backup guy. He's the wingman, I guess you could call it. So I care about him because he's been put on screen for me, but just taking something like day of the dead, I don't really care about, I mean, why do you care about John Ampla's character? Cause I don't, I mean, I'm really upset when he dies and I don't want him to die, but he didn't do anything the whole movie, but kind of bicker at Sarah and not help anyone. I think that's why you do care about him because he didn't really do anything and he just gets shot in the fucking head. He's been the most ineffectual character and he can't 
even possibly like be spared. It's just like, well, that's exactly why Rose killed him in the movie because he doesn't want confrontation with anyone about anything. Here's a lesson in life. If you act the most non-confrontational and don't do anything, you're probably the most expendable because Rhodes shot him because he didn't offer anything to Rhodes. That's why they killed him because they went, well, he flies the fucking helicopter. He does the radio. She's slightly useful because we can rape her. We don't need this guy. Fuck Salazar and fuck him. And, I mean, I don't know if all of their thoughts were directly on raping Sarah, but it seems likely. I mean, why else would they want to keep her alive? She was a scientist, so it was probably a very heinous thought process there. But you see what I mean? I mean, uh, in the same essence, Clank is John Amplis. I mean, you, you, I care about him when he dies. And he does a lot, though. I mean, his... Well, I don't want him to die, but I don't feel that emotional connection as I do with the remake character. Because he's made himself emotionally available to me. All I have to do is let him be emotionally available to me. I think you're also supposed to be led into the belief that uh, Clank and David, you know, have been very close for for a long time beforehand. And in the remake, you're shown that they're very close, that they're very close right now. So the immediacy of their relationship is probably one of the most pleasing things uh, with the remake is I really, really wanted those two out of everyone. Like I... I didn't care if the pregnant wife died, and I don't mean it, you know, that way. <laughs> sure, it's not because she was pregnant. I just, you know, her character didn't offer anything as to where, you know, I wanted the show's death. That's what she offers. Yeah. That's the one thing that he connects to, and you don't want him to be miserable because you know he's going to kill himself if his wife dies. Well, I want about that connection. Tonto and the Lone Ranger to go off into the sunset, which again is what I wanted with the crazies, and to an extent, it's something that you want with. Any translation of Night of the Living Dead, that things would be, you know, especially with the uh, the remake, things would be much more pleasing if Barbara and Ben could have gotten out of the situation together. Which, again, could have been a pretty interesting ending of them escaping and Ben being shot by one of the rednecks because he's black. A lot of different things could have been told and, and done with the story, but I think in total when... You know, you put it to the test against the original movie and you look at what statements, what themes George was trying to show you and, um, you know, underline as a as an art piece in total. I think they're they're formally really uh, translated with with Savini's remake that he captured on film pretty much everything that was mildly missing from the original movie. And it's not like. You know, again, superficial things like effects, but a, a lot of things even recaptured down to, you know, the, the zombies eating mice or one of the scenes where they pick up the severed hand of another zombie and choose not to eat it. There's some intricacy behind things. The the cemetery zombie breaking the, the car window, uh, Bill Heinzman in, in the original movie, and I don't – it's one of the FX guys in the, uh, the 1990 remake. But uh, just clever things and nods to a lot of – George's other work and the theories behind a lot of it. And then again, at its core value, uh, people not being able to get along, people not being able to at their uh, own center deal with one another. So I think as a, as a whole, as a, you know, not even just a remake as a retelling or reimaging or reboot or whatever the fuck you want to recall it. I think it, it translated pretty well. I mean, yeah, monetarily it didn't make a lot of money, but what Savini did was recapture the fear of death. And that's what was lacking, even going into something like Dawn of the Dead. You're not, even with Roger being bitten and infected, you're not so much afraid of dying as you're afraid of them losing them all. And what makes this terrifying isn't the zombies, it's becoming a zombie. It's the fear of death. And recapturing that fear of death, uh, you know, like with the crazies, you really could have... 
made that more relevant of not wanting to become them, not wanting to drop to that level and them actually being us. And I think a lot of that is cruised over and at its core, uh, you know, the, the, the theme of George Romero was replaced with a bit more of a uh, product, a bit more of a sellable action product. And it's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to, you know, See, insultingly you, say, you it. say that I would say it's just a hell of a lot more subtle because the one thing, and even like a debate like this, I can never compete with is the ending of the night of the living um, dead 90 is just the way that the, um, the military or the rednecks, whatever you want to call them, the way they're just fucking they're treating the zombies, all that very prevalent social commentary that's thrown in. And I think the crazies, it's still there. It's just way more subtle. I think it's just not quite hitting you over the head as hard as Romero on average does. And if you want to talk about nods um, to Romero or his career, or even the, uh, the film that are based on the crazies has some great ones of just like um, the guy after he burns his family alive in their home he's just sitting there completely nuts and just Whistling. humming the soundtrack for the original crazies um just there's little pieces like that and it's funny um even bringing up nods that in the original crazies there's quite a lot of nods to some of george's previous films um namely when they're the beginning of the movie the guy's setting the house on fire the the son is playing zombies on the stairs scaring his sister mm-hmm. and the exposition shot of him going up the stairs is very similar to you know going up uh, when barbara goes up at the beginning and not a living dead to find the uh can't remember the cousin's name uh, in the remake they both got uh what one was satchel and then cousin something or another which was yeah. a, uh, uncle one, reg or, yeah, <laughs> or something i i loved one thing i'll give a lot of credit with um 1990 night of living dead is their use of stunt performers and a lot of just fun stuff and again tom savini being a magician and allowing somebody that is so intuitive and creative with their bag of tricks behind the camera for you know total call of whatever's going on you you watch just some of the minor things you know like uh, the uncle reed zombie when he comes off the banister and, and Barbara rolls and you've got a lot of these very quick and precisely edited cuts. Those themselves are even, I feel kind of homages to Ramiro's style and his precision. And it's just, there's a level of fun that I, I kind of don't appreciate at the same time though, that you have these really good pratfalls and these really immaculate stunts. And it kind of takes away from what made um, night just so tight to me is there was no time for imagination. It was, this is what's going on. This is, this is like we discussed with something like the Godfather, uh, everything you needed to be shown was shown to you. And with the, the remake, I will definitely say there was a, a bit of fun that was too much fun. You know, if you're going to go all the way, you got to go all the way with some things. And when I would agree with that, because I was just getting ready to say that, one of the things that the crazies remake does get right is just that there is almost no humor in that movie. The tone of it is very stark the entire time. And neither Lean dead 90 does have a certain amount of humor that plays through the film. It's, it's very gallows dark humor, but it is there. 
I mean, even down to like the rednecks where he won't, uh, when, when at the end of the movie, when Barbara finally gets to the truck and the, the redneck won't take her hands off of her and she kind of, you know, pushes to throws him off. It's just almost too funny. You know, they're, you're making something light in a situation that does, doesn't have room, uh, for anything to be light. Speaking of light though, uh, something that really differs from the original movie, despite it being in black and white is you can definitely tell it was a brackish kind of dark day and they were going for a very moody, tone with what you're what you're watching and what you're experiencing and when they shot the the night night 90 remake it was just beautiful just great weather it was spring uh i believe they actually shot in evans city and it just was perfect and it played off it's one of those things like midsummer is the movie starts with this wonderful stark beautiful contrast of blue skies and and green grass and they get to the cemetery and then this horrific outline of the night begins to come forward and then you know as it finally becomes dark and you you get that awesome title card of night of living dead and the movie sets its pace that's i think really where a lot of the magic making with tom savini really comes forward is just his his use of lighting in the situation i i usually don't like things like this because it's very superficial and it's very stark lighting and it it's just massive massive heat bulbs but something gives it this I don't know, sweat sheen. Uh, I don't know. It's like another layer has been added to me watching it. Like I'm watching Night of the Living Dead while watching Night of the Living Dead. There's just something very eerie and uncanny to how it all plays out to me. And what I think is completely missing with the Crazies remake in that manner is just that kind of gray David Fincher this is the end of the world hue you know and like it was cool when they did it in mad max fury road i get it but you know it just doesn't play well, off I think all the it time particularly works for this film and another thing i would challenge you on is and I, I i've come around to it over the years but the soundtrack and the remake of night of the living dead is very odd it's a very weird soundtrack at times because it, it well, you hardly have a soundtrack like, and you have in, synth. Like, weird in, in the crazies they remake, they barely have any soundtrack. I can't remember like soundtrack at all throughout the film. It's more but like an OST, maybe weird soundtrack. I mean, there's like theatrical notes and some like cello shit here and there, uh, but not a lot. The original crazies was like that drum track that that you know. Oh yes, it was like a pacing throughout the entire movie, which I almost kind of feel was borrowed by James Cameron for Aliens with the, the military drum roll. And that a lot of that movie though had needle drop music in it, and a lot of uh, even needle drop scenes. I know a lot of the like the helicopter sequence and shit like that was just all bot sounds, needle bot meaning they were purchased. So. A lot of, you know, not an, an original score. It wasn't like Goblin did the soundtrack or something. And, uh, you know, sometimes with Ramiro, that's something you, I guess a lot of people take is his soundtracks and the way uh, he edited and specifically handled sound. But Night of the Living Dead and The Crazies uh, were kind of before that era. He really hadn't, you know, definitively, he was a massive talent with editing. He was running and gunning uh, behind the camera as a shooter. I don't think he really had hands-on. I mean, like Bill Bill Heinzman was doing a lot of his DP work. He did the DP for the Crazies, and Ramiro was kind of learning how to run and gun at this this time period. And I think came into himself as a sound design guy and, a, and an all around editor uh, after this when he he did Martin and um, Dawn of the Dead and started working with Dario Gento and guys like that. He really, you know, got got more tricks in his bag of tricks so it 
I, you know, the, the sound. I mean, I'm, I have to hand it to you. The sound design of of night nineteen ninety is kind of bland. And then you, I mean, it's just really weird. A lot of the you don't really have it, Joe. Like you, you have like little to no sound design, and then they randomly pump in some like like near dark, like weird noises in the background. Where I've yeah, really like come Tangerine around to it the last few sense. years, I just think the crazies is stronger on its sound design because. It is focusing more on the action at hand as opposed yeah. to trying to intensify it with music. Oh, that's something I, you know, there's not, I guess, not a big debate about because the the, the Crazies remake. Uh, I mean, my only complaint is it just sounds like a any average action movie. A lot of machine guns, a lot of explosions. But what else? If you're not going to add in that driving drum beat the entire time, what else is there? I mean, orchestral music would have kind of really fucked the movie over in total. So it really I, it makes it play out nicely. There's a, like it's really kind of a lot more reality based than film based in a lot of different contexts. But like um, overall, I can't really pick which one I would say is a better film overall. I think like The Crazy is a more professional film, but I also think Night of the Living Dead 1990 is a lot more, and I think a lot of this is due to Tom Savini's direction, and where else did he learn direction than from Romero himself? So I think his is honestly like creepier and kind of keeps that Romero overall like visual and kind yeah. But of George wrote tone. it and was there probably every single day. So I mean, I'm not trying to discredit. Tom Savini as an artist or his integrity as an artist, but George writing it and George, you know, living in Pittsburgh, being there, I'm sure a lot of what came on to, to camera, you know, was influenced or came from the mind of George. Romero, I mean, that's so. where he learned. I mean, how much did he learn on Friday the 13th from Sean Cunningham? I mean, his, his teacher was Romero back in the day and that's where he learned most of his camera moves if you want to call it that and i think he was a, a fairly worthy pupil and with breck eisner i mean he's completely separated and devoid of that i mean he i mean made his own path so it's going to feel a lot less like a romero film tonally than say night of the living dead i didn't research this heavily but george was an executive producer and a lot of the things in the crazies remake if you listen to George's commentary um, with Bill Lustig uh, from the uh, the Blue Underground Crazies release, a lot of the things he brings up and says he wanted to add into the movie all show up in the remake. So I feel he probably had a hand in it. I mean, Lynn Lowry's in the remake also. There's a lot of nods um, to, to mm-hmm. what's going on. You know, I think it's not like they just shot this and, and didn't involve George. It's not like Day of the Dead Contagion or whatever that Nick Cannon or that garbage was. Steve Miner fucking remake or the other, what, Bloodline or whatever the fuck that new Day of the Dead, that fucking piece of shit. Yeah, that terrible-ass movie. And if anything, uh, it's watchable. Like, it's not like some of the things we just mentioned. So many of George's movies have been remade. And, like, God, Night of the Living Dead itself. There's the the Sid Haig one, the the, the cartoon one. Uh, his his son, George C. Romero, is, which I, I guess he recently decided to go by that. And he's doing a, a, a new remake. I believe it's going to be a cell phone video game you'll be able to play. It might be out. I don't know. I've, I've not looked a lot into it. But I guess... It's public domain and it's a Romero, so you can get some money out of it somewhere, somehow. Nobody else did when they did Not a Living Dead. And that was one of the really cool things with the remake was 
being able to give some money back to these guys that that didn't get anything out of it. And I don't know like what John Russo's involvement was when it came down to the the monetary aspect of this or how his working relationship he got a piece, was. But he didn't get much of a piece because it didn't really make a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, well, so, it's still uh, some of these guys getting you know reparations for never getting money. I know Dwayne was dead at this point, so I don't think uh, you know he was able to. Which sucks. That would have been great to be able to get him back. Isn't it um, at the end of the movie, the my favorite line of dialogue, I think pretty much everyone's favorite line of dialogue. Um, yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up and stuff. Wasn't that Russ Steiner in the remake? Yep. Yeah. So they, they paid Doing it forward. Doing a weird comedy style performance, I thought. I, I didn't think he was trying to be believable as much as trying to play some weird character with an eye patch, like from Community Theater. I think Russ Steiner was excited to just be Russ Steiner with an eye patch in a movie. But I it's one of the most uh, powerful scenes for me. And then at the beginning of the movie I love and this was in the the remake and the original. Uh look, there comes one now or something like that. Whenever Johnny's uh, razzing Barbara and he just he, it's the zombie. It's what eventually kills him and it's just it takes this lighthearted fun, you know, and you don't know what you're getting into and you know you got to imagine when people sit down and watch Night of Living Dead for the first time, it it starts so uh, happy, and I love uh, that that you know different exposition in the remake and and adding color to it that it's beautiful and it's a great sunshiny day, and then things become just so drastically awful. And uh, got Ted Turner, what was it? It was the mid '80s or so. Ted Turner did all those colorized versions of fucking Casablanca and Night of the Living Dead, and put people in weird tweed jackets and and garbage like that. And there's a colorized Night of the Living Dead, and it, it's just awful. It's awful awful <laughs> uh, yeah that was a, a very odd trend back in the day um i like i don't like to call any of these movies out particularly but just overall as far as film technique and making a nice cohesive movie i think the crazies has most of these beat out and i don't that is not like meant to poison the well against anything because I enjoy all these movies fairly equally. Um, well, I mean, you gotta, you do have to poison the well a little bit because when you say something like that, it makes it sound like you like Day of the Dead Two Contagion. So I mean, <laughs> well, there, I mean there is I'm some just saying overall, it's like it's, a, it, it's like as as far as like a studio would look at it, it's a superior product. It's 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 not flawed in a lot of different ways, and a lot of these other movies are flawed. They're beautifully flawed. And those flaws are what make those movies very interesting to watch to begin with. But I think the crazies overall is just like it's a, a nice, really shiny put together product. Doesn't mean it's a better movie by any means, but better as a sense of just crossing all your T's and dotting your I's. I'd say the crazies remake wins out over all of these Except for Night of the Living Dead, but I mean that even has goddamn issues. And I mean, you, there's light stands all over that movie and some other problems. So just as a like cohesive product, I think the Crazies remake is probably like the best movie studio wise. I think uh, one of my biggest issues with the Crazies remakes comes from a uh, direct quote from George himself: "It's hard to find a hero in life." And George is 100% right. No matter how hard you try, you you can't ever figure out what's right or what's wrong. And what's shown to you in the 1973 crazies is people that have an idea of what is possibly right. And they try their hardest. And at the end of the day, it's all fucked. And 
the cure was right at their fingertips and just the hopelessness, the emotion, the, the level of uh, despondency that you're given is just hopeless. But at the same time, there's just uh, this accentuating idea that things might turn out okay. And with the remake, it's just they walk off into the sunset and it's all going to happen all over again. So yeah, everything I, I just fucked. Well, and, and you're given the same kind of nod at the the Romero movie the the, the original crazies that all this stuff is going to happen and this is why um, Colonel Peckham is leaving just to move on to another scenario but the way it's displayed and given to you in the remake is just uh, there's no room for hope now there's no room for the island there's no room for George Romero because despite knowing how the bad guy operates and knowing you know why they're doing what they're doing there's still room to try and find a hero, and that's been one of the biggest themes and the most important thing, no matter what, is like Night of the Living Dead, nobody works together, and nothing works out right. In the remake, nobody works together, something mildly works out right, but it's the same thing as Dawn of the Dead. Not everyone got to leave. It would have been perfect if Flyboy and Peter and Roger and Fly Girl all left. It would have been perfect in Day of the Dead if the whole science crew, if all of them, who did you, do you really want, Rhodes is a dick, but do you really want him to die? Do you really want Steel to die? No, nobody should have perished. And in a perfect idea, in a perfect film concept, in a perfect world, nobody would have to, and nobody would have to suffer. But when you lead to this idea of hope, and then you just crush it with, you know, a satellite picture of Trixie is going to start the protocol for this new town. You didn't give I me still any think light. That hope is there though, because that hope is. Oh, they're not going to survive. Oh, they're. I mean, probably not. But I think the hope is within your two main characters because through this whole movie, they have stuck together, and Timothy Oliphant even through well, his that's own a different type of hope. Of what's going on a lot of the time? It's still like I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to and continue to press and continue to press. And that's yeah, what that's they've done hope. the entire movie. So that's your kind of hope. And as far as adversity goes, and, I mean, it is true at the end. It's like, there's going to be great odds against you, but they pushed this far. Maybe they can push even further. We'll see. Well, that's a hope for them though. And that's, I it think it should be a hope for you though. Well, that's what I like more about the the Romero crazies is that there is a hope for me, and I think it's a hope for them. And then, you know, trying to balance my argument, Barbara being able to escape and work past this, and, you know, when she says, they're them and we're us, and the hillbilly goes, huh? Ah! Some fucking hick noise from over at a beer cart. She smiles and nods and goes, nothing. And knows, like, I don't have a place with these people, but I can survive. And that gives me a, a form of hope in itself that there might, you know, you know, you look at how they're behaving and they're shooting these zombies for sport and they're playing with them and they're they're just turning into awful, awful Yeah, there's monsters. no hope. Barbara's getting ready to kill herself at the end of that movie. Well, her hope is the survival of not being one of them, not letting yourself become part of the problem. And then the Crazies remake ends with you guys just fucking started a whole problem for a whole new town. Like this whole new town wasn't going to get infected at the end of 90. The like there is no hope either, because even if we do survive, do we deserve it? Because look at all these shitheads that are around me. Are there even good people left? Does it even matter? 
But that's the same question that Day of the Dead asks, you know, so that again is returning to a very Ramiro-esque concept of things because you, you see all these people squared off against each other underground and even the military with scientists can't even work for a better tomorrow to help the nation to help the world that they're only concerned about their better well-being which well, I what's feel the, the hope couple, and crazies their only well-being they, these people only want to get out of the situation i mean in love, the, god damn it the answer is love because that's well, the one thing that's gotten them through this whole fucking thing is love their love damns and kills an entire fucking extra city though as to where oh, in that, the original that city was movie fucked anyway i mean they didn't have any that city that. wasn't they, fucked there was virus to them until they walked into that city, Trixie wasn't going to activate its protocol. So that whole city was fine until these two stragglers walked inside of it. But as the city where, was already infected, I'm pretty sure. There's no notion to that. I mean, they don't give any concept that until they walked in, the city wasn't infected. As to where you have almost a more dismal aspect with the original movie because um, Colonel Peckham is removed to start helping out another city that has been affected by Trixie. So the hopelessness is even more, you know, it's more of a disdaining thing with, with Ramiro's movie, but the way he captured it at the end with him, you know, getting on the helicopter and his nude clean body, leaving this dirty, filthy situation. I don't know. Maybe it's not hope. Maybe there's just a level of, hopelessness that George was able to uh, show on camera was able to show as moving art that is just not able to be captured anymore because uh, we're really now breaking it down and saying it out loud. They're very, very similar endings, but there's just something lackluster about them walking into the town and Trixie activating its protocol as to where you've got Colonel Peckham leaving and he's leaving the situation as he entered it. He didn't give a shit. He just wants to get out. Nobody gave a shit in the first place. You're missing that whole aspect with the remake, and I think that is a really a really big point with me. Uh, you, you strip away who these military people are and those characters, and you take away the, uh, the Richard France character, Dr. Watts. There's just a lot missing. You've turned it into a survival horror uh, video game kind of thing. Like, it really... The, the Crazies remake really felt like a video game to me. See, and again, I like point, it. It's uh, not a bad it's thing. It's to me that we see it so differently because to me it's the couple that is pushing this whole entire narrative and it's a player it's a, a player b dynamic and to you it's all just like and eh, they're just kind of people yeah people love each other who cares but that's kind of the whole point of he was yeah, but their love is damning back for her yeah, but their love just damned a whole you know deal i don't know i just i don't see love being enough reason in the long run to survive if it's going to cause a whole nation of people to die so I guess I'm looking at it as more of, and this is maybe why I very pragmatically and not uh, philosophically. You know, I'm looking at it as the the military. I'm looking at it as Colonel Peckham or Doctor Watts did, and the characters that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just breaking it back down to the the Ramiro crazies as maybe some of the things that I appreciate and the reasons I appreciate these characters is I understand them that you know. I, uh, a big point of, of the original Crazies, Night of the Living Dead, and the Crazies remake is showing people working together, people not working together, and then people breaking under stress. So essentially they're all the same things because in Night of the Living Dead, Harry Cooper and Ben very well could be affected by 
Trixie because they're breaking down and as their pissing contest continues, neither of them will work together and they become increasingly erratic. And that's because of stress and the pressure cooker idea. You know, all these, you know, you got to think about it like people on a a raft after a shark or a, a plane wreck and sharks are, you know, circling and getting ready to kill you. That's Night of the Living Dead. When you take it over to something like The Crazies, it's it's pretty much the exact same concept, but you introduce this whole literal zombie aspect as they did in the remake, and it waters it down a little bit, but at the same time, both of these stories are essentially, at their core, the same thing. And, it, you know, again, with you, I guess this is the first time uh, with a debate I'm really at a loss because I don't know what to tell you. You know, I can be a dick and say mine's better, but I think both of these movies are probably the best. And you know, maybe we There's can think of, of the it best this actual way. horror remakes as well. Because if you go through the oh, list yeah. of horror remakes that have come out, so many of them are terrible. That's on, on another reason. Like when we were talking about Rabbit earlier, I was very much impressed with the Soska sisters. Ended up doing like with a conception and taking it to their own realm and making it independently interesting with the original source material. And so many remakes just end up like, again, don't hate Dawn of the dead, but yeah, holy it's, a fuck, it's about nothing. It is about absolutely nothing other than one well, giant action scene. That was my argument at first with the crazies that, Oh, it's just a big action movie. And you got to sit down and maybe pay attention and rewatch the 2010 Crazies. It has a lot more to offer than Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. It has at a level with character development, with what uh, it's showing you and something we've been discussing a lot lately, showing you what's necessary to be shown. The Dawn of the Dead remake has just so much MTV footage, just, you know, uh, uh, literally a whole music video scene of them putting together a car as to where the Crazies remake, not everything is essential, but most of it is, I mean... I'd say at least 80% of what's in that movie is essential, and then you've got a good 20 of effects. But whatever. You know, it's not nitpicking or saying one's better or one's worse than the other. I really like Zack Snyder's remake. And like, I, I don't think it's a bad movie, but it's a movie for what it 100% is, which is just kind of a general run-through of an idea of zombies in a mall. Um God, what, like, I mean, you can go back to the Day of the Dead remake. You can go to the several different Carpenter remakes that, like, they're making remaking Big Trouble on China. What's the point in that? Because that movie is exactly what it needs to be. It, it does not need an expansion. I don't, is it a remake or I think it's a, a, like a, a re-imaging sequel sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's going to start the rock. It's going to be completely, it's just going to be like probably I look a forward lot of to the day to Kung Fu movies that the rock loves. I look Modern forward to the Asian day when film. when every single movie stars The Rock. One day. I don't dislike The Rock either. I find him yeah. very charismatic. I even liked um, him as a wrestler. But I do have a point of contention, I think, for the both of us that maybe we'll be able to settle on for, for this debate. For its time, when it came out, when it was made, and for the story that it tells uh, pertaining to Ramiro's earlier work, I think Night of the Living Dead is the best remake when it comes to Ramiro's zombies and his political statements, uh, uh, philosophy, political statements as an artist, I think when it comes to its time and its era and when it was released, The Crazies is the best, you know, non-action, you know, and I don't mean action because it is an action movie for all intents and purposes, but the most non 
political zombie-based thing. So, you know, giving them two different titles or two different places, I think they truly are, if you had to pick out of it, and like I said, this isn't a big swimming pool. This is, this cesspool of, of backwater isn't big. There's a handful of Ramiro remakes, these two for their eras and what they're remaking, because this is a different, despite it being very similar to Ramiro's zombie movies, as a whole, The Crazies is a completely different animal. This is something that is more similar to the likes of The Dark Half or Martin when it comes to what story he's trying to tell. It's not the same in the vein of his you know, political and philosophical zombie legacy, I feel. Well, I mean, like, if you really start searching through a lot of remakes from that era like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. And like I've always said about the Friday 13th remake, it's like somebody got a, like my dad made a remake of Friday 13th. You don't understand what made those movies interesting or great. You just kind of have cliff notes of culture, the cultural impact of these characters. But with the crazies, I think they got to the root of what made the, um, the Romero movie interesting to begin with, which is interpersonal relationships and conflict. And so many horror remakes forget those sorts of things because what they're basically trying to do is resell you an idea in a hip new way. Like, Well, the crazies really didn't have to work with that, though, because, uh, I mean, at its core, this was one of the least successful Romero movies of all time. I mean, they had... Some stuff going on in New York, they had a company behind it, but this movie didn't really go anywhere until like Blue Underground started putting it out and then home video release. So when you remake a lesser-known movie, I think a lot of the draw, and I mean, I remember when this came out, a lot of the draw was... It's in name. It's, a, it's well, George Romero's name is on it. Yeah, it was just his name. So people you know, really got up in arms about the zombie thing, and I think that's why the studio probably chose to take the direction they did with dressing the characters in the manner which they did because people you know don't again like i referenced people don't know jack white jack's wife that well people don't know there's always vanilla you know there's a different realm of what you have expectations for your horror heroes to be you know a lot of people would sit down and uh you watch halloween and you show somebody dark star and they're not gonna be happy what do you mean it's john carpenter yeah it's him man it's better than halloween too suck my dick dark star is way better than halloween it's definitely more interesting than Halloween. It's got a lot of weird dynamics working within it. I don't care how movies are made. And you've made fun of me sometimes on the show before of I'll say I absolutely don't like a movie and still give it a, a good review. That's something like Dark Star. That's a fucking atrocious movie. The villain's a beach ball. And it's still alien and at sometimes a little bit more entertaining than Ridley Scott's alien Incredibly manages funny. to be. Yeah, and then God, it's just got balls. That's something that Romero had his entire career. And again, you know, we have a point of contention between us, but both of these movies really have balls. And you look at something like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake. It's sharp. It's well, I mean, it's sharp. It's fast. It looks really good. Um, But you know, like you brought this up with Terminator Two. It's like a truck with all this shit on the back. It's got a swimming pool and a Ferrari and a house and a trailer. And it's just this big rig transporting all of this really flashy, great stuff. But when you combine it and at the end of the day, you, you finish the movie. 
So the dick gets shot, the dog lives, and they all die. I don't know. What did you give me? You managed to even more so strip away the hope of, like, like I've accused the Crazies remake of stripping away a lot of the hope uh, that comes with the hopelessness of Ramiro's common themes. The remake of Day of the or Dawn of the Dead completely misses it. You just gave me this kind of dark, dismal ending for the sake of it being dark and dismal like Ramiro intentionally wanted to do with the original ending um peter dying and thanks i guess it's why ramiro didn't use that ending it wasn't very good well i mean the ending of dawn of the dead is debatable just of sheer lunacy of it taking place in milwaukee and they're going to take a boat somewhere you're just going to go around one of the great lakes till you find an island an uninhabited island and the what are you talking about that is like that is a script failure on james gunn's part but um, it's as lame as cruising around, filing a weird Irish island off the coast of Delaware, though. So, I mean, James Gunn, Ramiro, everybody at some point, uh, you got to eat shaving cream. Everybody eats shaving cream. Yeah, but I just think overall these are probably two of the most superior horror remakes that they've quite frank, frankly have ever done. Um, like I've gone back on Term or Terminator, fucking uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that remake, and it's just not a, like a terrible film or anything. It just totally misses the point of. Well, the what tone that- is completely gone. You've turned it into this villainized thing with who the the Hewitts or whatever they're called in that movie is now, and you've given all this development as to who these people are and what made the movie, uh, like I said before, have balls was the anonymous nature of who Leatherface and everybody was, and it's something like Halloween with John Carpenter. Michael Myers is just a guy behind a fucking mask, and that's what's scary. The cult of Thorn or some hillbilly kid, I'm not afraid of that. What's funny about Texas is they totally didn't understand the character of Leatherface because they made him like a killer, like a crazy killer. Leatherface is not a killer. He's He's killed plenty of people, but he's he's procuring meat. He's a big baby. Yeah, he's afraid of what he's doing. I mean, uh, I did a Leatherface painting a few years ago, and it was just titled Big Baby, and that's all I I took him as. He's attacking because he's afraid. He is going after everyone in the movie because they've invaded his privacy. He doesn't have a further understanding of what's going on outside of what he's been told to do. He doesn't have a bloodlust particularly, but it's more of a hunger for blood it's it's a different thing it's like an attack dog you know an attack dog isn't out there to hurt you or kill you or drink your blood but if you train it to attack that's what it does and that's essentially you know uh, trying to understand the leatherface character what he was you know it's associated that he's probably mentally retarded or something that's even too much backstory you you didn't have that with michael myers like with jason you get this idea that he was a kid that drowned and then after part two they start adding on to who he is and they keep digging and adding by the time you get to part five i don't give a shit it's so much story it's so much that wasn't necessary Uh, like the crazies you know what's terrifying trixie what is it i don't know government virus maybe it's making people go crazy that's absolutely terrifying with night of the living dead uh the remake you you really don't get a clear understanding you've got a cool scene with earth and don't go outside, you get the whole TV sequence, and in the remake, you've got a very skeptical guy that you know uh, isn't really believing or feeding into the dead coming back, which adds a new layer to the movie of not 
knowing what to believe, not knowing what's going on. It adds a, a layer of mysticism, which like with the craziest remake is added on when you finally get the government guy and the cool ass car wreck. And they're talking about what Trixie is and the deputy shoots him in the head. You've got these great moments that are like glimpses and clips and, and grabs of what Ramiro is at his essence, but at its whole, both movies showed a, a new kind of provocative idea, I think, of of Ramiro themes. I think the crazies really missed out on a lot of it. But like you said, it's it's subtly there. But that's a problem for me when you're doing something like George A. Ramiro. He was not a subtle man. He didn't deal with with being subtle. If he had a subtext, it was gonna be there and you know it's David Dead is proof of, of that. Subtext, it's more of just text. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like we've done these philosophy shows and we've talked about, you know, who Ramiro is, but there's like not us pulling at opinions here. We're not forming these or trying to apply our own beliefs to what Ramiro is. They're there. Watch the movies. It's it's there. I mean, and I think it really is there in the crazies. I just think it's a hell of a lot more subtle and that really has more of a response to the time it was made and the era that was made. So, wow. I, I don't think we've ever come to an end of a debate so subtly, but we both have some really great points. I think if anything, you, the audience go watch Savini's 1990 remake and not a living dead go watch the crazies. Enjoy yourselves. You've got a lot of concepts and things to think about and deal with here. And if these are unfamiliar titles with you, I mean, God, go watch The Crazies. To me, that's – it's hard making a list of Almost my favorite – Almost all of this is on Tubi right now, I think. <laughs> I think you watch all but one of these movies on Tubi, so it's all well, free. I mean, it, it's very hard for me to make a list of in order my, my favorite George Romero movies because my, my mind – I'm a fluent person, I like to think. My politics, my mind, my thoughts change, so I can't always agree with – what I'm presented and, and what I see, but at its core, uh, the values and the message behind George Ramirez movies, I generally always understand and understand the fluency and understand the message behind them. And out of all of the, you know, the remakes, people trying to make that legacy uh, continued, these are probably the two strongest that really, I mean, I think yours is a little bit weaker, but as we've discussed, they're still there. They're still in the story, uh, what makes a Ramiro story. You know, it's it's all tightly tucked in, but you got you to gotta look for it sometimes. You can't always show this with a remake because, as people will call it, it's liberal bias. And, you know, George, his thoughts were a little bit more left. Sorry, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> That's like, the way the cookie crumbles. That should be fairly fucking obvious. <laughs> I think Dawn of the Dead is the most obvious point of you know where where George stood with politics and consumerism and his thoughts of of the future and you know like Dawn of the Dead is sort of even like a Philip K. Dick story. It's very you know dystopian. It's it's, Night Riders is just a commentary on capitalism anyway. It's fighting the dragon, man, and uh, you know as, as, as us ending this show, an ending statement. That's all you do your entire life. Every single day you wake up and you fight the dragon. 
you might fill your time and you might figure out, you know, what to do every day and feel tension trying to get things done, but you're just fighting the fucking dragon. That's all George would say. If you could ask George Romero what's the meaning of life, he would have said, it's fighting that goddamn dragon, man. I'm going to beat that dragon. And the dragon's anything. It's whatever's in your way. Romero thought of it that way. Knight Riders is the best way he he probably showed it. You know, Knight Riders is my favorite Romero movie. It's uh, the it's most probably personal. Martin and then Knight Riders and then all the dead movies, the three major dead movies anyway. Martin just is, you know, there's there's movies that are are called the most beautiful of all time, like Manhattan, and they are. They're just up there with their level of decadence with editing and filming and shots martin was a bit of a cheaper picture but it is one of the most gorgeous movies of all time it doesn't matter how you watch it you could watch it with the fucking sound off and if you can appreciate the level of ingenuity and artistic integrity that romero put into that when it comes to sound design shooting and editing it's just unfathomably beautiful and it's hard to even name things that are edited and shot just as well as Martin and the crazies, the, the, the 1973 crazies, there are some intense scenes that are like 15 fucking shots within 60 seconds. Romero, uh, the, the guy just, that was what he uh, could mold. That was his thing. That man was an editing. He was genius. a master of dog shots as he called them. He would go out there, fill everything with B-roll, five minutes of actual footage, and somehow that man could turn it into Play-Doh. And that's what worked. And, you know, that's what really uh, made his career important is he learned early on with his group of filmmakers what's really important when you're doing at the time. It's called indie now, but it really wasn't indie filmmaking then. You have to know how to do everything. If you're going to direct, you got to know how to DP, boom, gaffer fucking everything and all of these people could work together and could talk to each other and help each other and have communication which is something george wrote about his entire career is the lack of communication people have but you watch his productions you watch his his dreams his legacy uh, what we have left to appreciate george romero what you truly see is communication at its best george was a great communicator and even these remakes, especially the two that we have brought up and discussed tonight, are great examples of George's communication, his message, and uh, his importance as a writer, that these stories can live on and still have a, a retelling and their own integrity many years later. I think that's going to fucking wrap her up there, son. So the ashtray is full, the bottle's empty. I don't think anywhere's on fire right now. Is no, Australia? All of Australia is still on fire. What do you oh, I, I thought it rained. Never mind. All right. The ashtray's full, the bottle's empty. That's another episode in the books. Welcome to 2020. Next week, we're going to talk about beaches. recorded in front of a dead studio audience.
Cinema Showcase was made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. And now our national anthem.